Coming up this hour, we are going to talk about Governor Pritzker's call to stay at home uh, for everybody in the state of Illinois. And we're going to continue to process the coronavirus epidemic. You're listening to The Common Good. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to The Common Good. Uh, my name is Brian Fromm, joined as always by Ian Simpkins. Uh, it's a strange Friday, but we hope you're having a good Friday. Uh, as always, you can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Uh, find us on Twitter at Common Good Talk. You can find us online at 1160hope.com. And as always, find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, we're thankful for those of you who are a part of our podcast family. Uh, grateful for those of you who do when, that. So, when, did you, when did you start calling it a podcast family? I don't know. They feel like a whole different subsection of our group that, I don't know, they're like their own little family. A subset. We got to really talk about these idea? things. We, we, should, we should discuss terminology before we go live on the radio. Also, what happens sometimes is we open our mouth and don't know what's coming out. <laughs> sometimes is being very generous. Good. That is a valuable point. Well, you and I were planning on starting the show today talking about uh, the the kind of the lockdown, the shelter in place that happened in California last night and some of the amazing things that the uh, that the governor of California said. Uh, there was also uh, the New York City and stuff going on there. Uh, but now kind of things change almost in real time. So Within the hour of our show starting, uh, Governor Pritzker came on, and you started hearing rumblings of this all day long today, uh, but Governor Pritzker came on and announced uh, a stay-at-home directive uh, to all residents of Illinois uh, that will last from tomorrow until the end of uh, the end of the day on April the 7th. So we're talking three weeks uh, and so, uh, it, as I've read about it, man, it doesn't feel like it's going to change my life all that much. My wife and I and kids have just been staying at home as much as possible, except to go get food and other things like that. But to hear that, uh, this kind of, uh, even if we saw it coming to actually see it on our TV screens or to read it on the internet, uh, and then on top of it, the stuff from California and New York, it's pretty startling. Each day feels like it's more and more startling. So why does it feel so startling to you if, if what you're feeling like is it's not going to change your rhythms at all? Like, I know that it is startling and I know that it is eerie to see these things on our TVs and on Twitter and on our Facebook feeds. But why do you think it is? Especially if, you know, we're guessing the vast majority of people listening have been more or less obeying the rules. Right. Uh, if if they're feeling like you're feeling like, yeah, I've, this doesn't really change much for me, but for some reason seeing it or hearing it um, like this succinctly is actually kind of jarring. Why do you think that is? I think it's one thing for it to be a suggestion and us to be following it. It's another thing to see it be mandated by the government. And, yeah. and I'm happy they're doing it. I'm going to go on record as one of the people who is actually uh, glad that they're doing this because like I said, we've been doing it, but you still see the reports of people out there. There was somebody, there was a, 
a Facebook almost argument going on. I live in Downers Grove, and apparently there were a lot of kid, uh, high school, college age kids playing baseball and basketball at one of the local parks yesterday. Hmm. And people are like, what's going on? And so for that reason, I'm glad. I think for me, it's just seeing it like the governor go, you have to stay at home. Uh, yeah, I think it's a weird thing for me where it's like, I'm, ex- I'm happy about that. Like, all right, let's tackle this. At the same time, like it, it still, I, I think it's this over and over again in this, it still kind of feels like we're in a sci-fi movie, right? Like yeah. <laughs> you were used to watching a Will Smith movie where the president or the governor gets up and says, nobody leaves their home or nobody this. And so to just see it, you're like, oh my gosh, I can't a week ago, two weeks or a month ago would never have imagined this possible. Right. Uh, so just to see it is still rattling, although I'm actually excited that we're doing it. So count me on the side of like, I think this is the right move. Well, yeah, in Illinois uh, alone, four deaths already among more than 400 cases uh, in our state alone. And we are expected to see some of those numbers rise as uh, testing becomes more available. Um, we already had the shelter in place in Oak Park, right? That was like I believe so, yeah. Friday, yeah. I think. And as some of what I was listening to today, that the difference between the stay at home and shelter in place is nuanced. A lot of it has to do with just simply how it sounds. You know, we tend to think mm. of lockdowns as, I mean, the last time I really heard a lockdown, we were talking about school shootings, right? Exactly. So it has this, it has this sort of uh, association to it that I think they're wanting to be mindful of. Um, but you're right. It is, it is different from like, Hey, we would really recommend you do this to like, Hey, this is now, this is now in place. This is, this yes. is no longer a suggestion. There is something elevating about that. I'm wondering as, as people of faith, um, is there anything about this mandate that you think better or more fully obligates us to behave in a certain way or not? And maybe there's somebody listening that still isn't interested in abiding or I don't know. How does, right. how does all of this news strike you as a, as a pastor and as a Jesus follower? Yeah, for me, now this adds the element of like, right, we are called to obey our authorities. And uh, but for me, this has always been a case. And I remember a couple like a week or so ago, you did a good job of unpacking this about how really what's at play here, whether you're scared for yourself or not, is also about us loving our neighbors. Uh, And this call to, uh, even if you don't feel like you've got some complex that says, hey, I'm not, I'm going to be fine no matter what, doesn't mean that you can't endanger other people. But I do think as Christ followers, we are not called in an instance like this. I know there are times to go against, um, there are times to go against the governing authorities, but this would not, in my opinion, be one of them. This is the government saying, hey, we're called to protect the public health. Uh, we think this is the best move. And I think Christ followers should be going, okay, we're going to follow in this. We're going to encourage our people to follow. And for me, uh, like I said, I'm, I'm okay with this, not only because we've been doing this and most people I know have been doing this, yeah. uh, but because if we're really going to tackle this, let's tackle it, right? Yeah, right like, let's right. tackle it. Um, so, yeah, I think as pastors, like, remember we joked yesterday that there was never a class in seminary or grad school about how to pastor through a pandemic. Right. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I personally, at this moment, I've seen lots of tweets that churches are still allowed to go record and uh, that we kind of fall under the umbrella of essential. But I don't want to say that that's true. I don't know. I think we're, as pastors, I feel like every day we're needing to figure out new things that we never imagined that we would need to figure out. Yeah. The other thing that my mind goes to is, you know, the people that had the same reaction that you did seeing it on the news that are feeling 
new levels of anxiety or yeah. fear or weight, knowing that, I mean, even as, as we're talking, I feel like this is kind of heavy on my heart right now because this, I mean, this news came through just less than an hour ago. And yeah. what, what does that look like to pastor and shepherd? Well, knowing that if you, Brian Fromm saw it and that kind of spiked your fear and anxiety, I am certain you're not alone. And if, if you're listening even right now, whether it's live or on the podcast and you're feeling the weight of fear and anxiety and worry, uh, first, just know that you're not alone. Yes. That, um, I know that doesn't make anything go away necessarily, but knowing that you're not alone, is, it's hard to believe, especially when we're in isolation like this, but you're not alone and that you're loved, that you're yeah. valuable, that God sees you and he knows you. And uh, all of those things don't necessarily magically make fear and anxiety disappear, but there are things that I, in this season, I want to constantly not only remind myself of, but to be like speaking those words to and over other people, because I think, you know, in this season of information and fear and worry, it's, those are going to be easy things for us to forget. Yeah, absolutely. That's well put. And Ian and I are both pastors, as we've talked about. And uh, so coming up next, and we want to take a couple different opportunities in the show. I think you and I uh, wanted to take some opportunities to be pastoral to our radio audience. And so coming up next, Ian and I are both going to take some time uh, to share kind of our hearts to open up scripture. We hope you stay with us. That's coming up next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this Friday afternoon. Man, for you, has this week felt like a lot more than a week? <laughs> yeah, I, I honestly was trying to recall some details from earlier in the week, and it was sort of messing with my head how long this week has felt. Oh, my gosh, so much. In fact, I did last night I was on my computer and I went to my calendar and just was like, what was I doing last week? And it felt like three months ago. Yeah, no <laughs> like, kidding. No I was kidding. like, wait, I was meeting with that person at start. Wait a minute. You're kidding me. That was a week ago. So crazy times and uh, seems to be getting crazier, but uh, hopefully uh, it'll get crazier, but then calm down here a little bit. One of the things Ian and I both have thought we discussed is that uh, as pastors, one of the major roles we both carry is to bring encouragement uh, and some hope to uh, to our people. And we kind of view this radio show the same way, right? Yeah. Uh, how do we bring hope and encouragement uh, to our listeners? Uh, and so uh, we thought uh, once each hour here, it would be, it would behoove us to just kind of give a uh, devotional thought, if you will, an encouragement uh, from God's word. And so uh, hopefully you find that as an encouragement, uh, we're both going to do that. And I'm going to go first. I wanted to share, you know, for me, uh, and I shared this with our church today on Facebook, but for me, one of the, uh, strangest aspects of everything going on right now is the separation. Mm -hmm. It's being separated from, uh, extended family. I mean, my parents live next door to me and we've kind of, uh, not really seen very much of them just to stay safe or more so to keep them safe, but also friends, other extended family, the church. It feels really weird uh, for me to be separated from everybody. And that can be really disconcerting. That can cause us anxiety. And I was thinking about this 
concept of separation, because also it could be easy to begin asking, has God separated himself from us? Is God mm. still here? Is he still uh, involved? Or has God kind of checked out as well? And so in thinking about that separation, uh, let me read this verse that I, that I hope will be an encouragement to you. Uh, this is out of Romans chapter 8, verses 37 through 39. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels nor rulers, things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation, parenthetically, right, uh, COVID-19, the coronavirus, social distancing, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. If you're mm. feeling anxious over all of this separation, know that God hasn't separated himself, but we learn here in the book of Romans, uh, nothing will separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So if you're feeling anxious, if you're feeling uh, fearful, uh, know that God promises to be present, uh, that, that he's not social distancing from us mm. and uh, that we could take encouragement from that. Nothing will separate, will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That's Romans chapter eight, verses 37 through 39. That is my devotional thought. What do you got for us, Ian? What do you got? Hey, you're a good pastor, Brian. That is trying to be, that was, <laughs> I'm better at the virtual. <laughs> that, was, <laughs> that was some good stuff right there, man. Thanks. Uh, yeah. I wanted to read a passage out of first John four, which might feel like an odd passage in these times, but uh, let me just share some of you with it. And then uh, I'll tell you my, some of my thoughts. First John four, 13 to 21. Uh, this is how we know that we live in him and he and us. He's given us of his spirit. And like right off the bat, the idea that God, like you were saying, isn't just near us. He's not just hanging out. He actually abides within us and us in him. Mm, he says he gives yeah. us his spirit and we have seen and testify that the father has sent the son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. Again, it's the most common description of Christ followers in the first century in the new Testament. They are in Christ. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. And then it says, God is love. Mm. Not that God is loving or that he knows a lot about love. God, his very nature, his very ontology is love. For God, love is not a verb he does. It's the noun he is. And he goes on, he says, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence in the day of judgment. In this world, we're like Jesus. There's no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. And I love that reminder that the way that we love each other and the world right now is not, not some love that we've sort of conjured up on our own. It's a reflex. It's a response to God first loving us. And it's out of that love that we then have the capacity to love others. And I, I find it so interesting that when he says love is the thing that drives out of fear, I tend to think the opposite of fear is like courage or yeah. Or bravery, like bravery drives out all fear. And he said, no, 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 uh, here, here is, is what drives out fear at, a, at an existential, at a spiritual level is love, the perfect love, not just love that you know, looks like affection for some of us. It's, it's this agape love that God gives to us. And I, I love that 
he mentions this spirit that's given to us in some translations talk about to remind us of the things that we know to be true. Like sometimes we want new information and we were talking earlier about how sometimes the obsession with new information can kind of drive our behavior. And he says, now sometimes the spirit needs to remind you of the thing that you have forgotten that you need to know is true, but amidst all the chaos, maybe you've forgotten. And in that love, fear, it just has no place to be fear as some say, is a liar that's running out of breath. And I love that. The love of God is the thing that drives that, that drives that fear from us. That's really good, man. I hadn't thought about what's the opposite of fear. The yeah. opposite fear, not necessarily being courage, uh, but being loved. That's a really good thought. I'm going to think about the one. You're a good pastor too. Oh, thanks. <laughs> thanks, man. Um, well, hopefully you find those helpful. Uh, you know, uh, these are the times to to go back into the scriptures. The uh, what was that line that we had the other day? Uh, when times are unprecedented, go back to those things that uh, uh, were precedents <laughs> to go to go back to things that we know. Uh, are you finding that really helpful in your life? Kind of going back to basics and foundational things here. Yeah, I, I think that's. I mean, that's a good rule of thumb whenever you're feeling like you're spiraling or that your foundation isn't steady. I think, you know, I heard a pastor once say, we have like an information surplus, but an obedience deficit. Like mm. this thought that like we you know, just I want a new inspiration or a new angle or a new perspective. I think sometimes what we need to go back to is like the most ancient things, the the most basic foundational things because I think sometimes, you know, Dallas Willard says that familiarity breeds unfamiliarity. Mm. Sometimes things are so familiar to us that we actually forget how to engage them or to embody them. And I, yeah, I do think going back to the basics in some ways is really, really powerful and helpful. That's good. So we would, we wanted to give you that encouragement. We're going to do that in our second hour as well, but we want to encourage you uh, to go back to the basics, if you will, to go back to what we know, to hold on to what we know. And uh, I wanted to point you to Romans 8. Ian did a good job getting out of First John to talk about the opposite of fear being love. And uh, hopefully you find those to be an encouragement today. Well, coming up next, uh, we're going to go to an article out of the Gospel Coalition that brings us back to Charles Spurgeon and how he dealt uh, with a similar situation uh, that's coming up next here on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Really grateful that you're joining us today. And uh, as things are shifting all around us, uh, as things continue to change, we're uh, trying to keep you up to date, but also trying to give you, play, be a place to encourage you, give you things to think about and uh, give you a little bit of a historical context for what we are in, uh, what we are facing these days. Uh, we would love to have you continue this conversation with us. You can do so at the Common Good Radio Show on Facebook, at the Common Good Radio Show. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, at Common Good Talk. Uh, go ahead online at 1160hope.com. There you can find old shows, and uh, as always, find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, we are grateful for those of you who are already doing that. We love our podcast world. Uh, go ahead and subscribe, rate, and review. And hopefully uh, some of our old episodes will help you out as we are all kind of locked away in our homes 
trying to figure out what these next days are going to look like. Well, the Gospel Coalition, uh, they wrote an article that is kind of based on what we can learn from the way Charles Spurgeon uh, dealt with uh, a similar outbreak in his day. So what's going on on this story at the Gospel Coalition? Yeah, let me just read from the beginning. It says, as reports of the coronavirus spread around the world, pastors and church leaders are discussing how they should respond to the outbreak. Throughout church history, many pastors have worked through similar challenges. As a young village preacher, Charles Spurgeon admired the Puritan ministers who late or who stayed behind to care for the sick and dying during the Great Plague of London in 1665. In fall 1854, the newly called pastor of London's New York uh, New Park Street Chapel pastored the congregation amid a major cholera outbreak in the Broad Street neighborhood just across the river. How did Spurgeon respond? And so then there's a list of five that. Um, it's actually pretty amazing how helpful these are. Yes, given this happened in 1854, like there's obviously new aspects. I think this is our first real global pandemic with social media, right? This is mm. that's kind of unprecedented in that regard. Um, yeah, but I, yeah, I was really surprised by how helpful this list of five was. So the first one, uh, he prioritized local ministry. Spurgeon wrote. During that epidemic of cholera, though I had many engagements in the country, I gave them up that I might remain in London to visit the sick and dying. I felt that it was my duty to be on the spot in such a time of disease and death and sorrow. Spurgeon's popularity had grown throughout the Fenland villages outside Cambridge during his pastorate at Waterbeach. Even after arriving in London, he continued to be invited to preach in those villages throughout the week. During the outbreak, however, Spurgeon recognized his responsibility to be present with the sick and dying. I'll stop right there. I think yeah. that shows an incredible pastoral wisdom and yeah. a pastoral heart. And I'm curious how you think that applies in sort of this new reality that a lot of us are finding ourselves in. Yeah, I think it applies in a couple different ways. But the main one for me, I, I don't know if you have felt this. I have felt this draw to like care for my people. And I know that might sound weird to call them my people, but I mean like our church community. I haven't felt this draw to be like out there, you know, uh, all my Facebook friends hear this. Like I, I have felt a real desire to care for and shepherd uh, the people around me. And I think if we as church communities do that well, uh, then the, the greater community is going to be cared for. But, but yeah, I've, I've, I'm wondering if you felt the same thing. I felt this kind of intense draw uh, to check in on the people of our church, to love the people and kind of shepherd them through this. Yeah, and I think that that being present in a digital context obviously looks very different than it did in Spurgeon's day. 100%. But, uh, yeah, I think that's a really important thing to kind of keep out in front. Why don't you take number two? Number two, uh, Spurgeon adjusted his meetings but continued meeting. Uh, the Broad Street cholera outbreak of 1854 occurred in August and September of that year, and its effects were felt in the weeks and months to come. The neighborhood where Spurgeon's church met was not quarantined, so they were able to continue meeting through those months. Interestingly, no record of the sermon Spurgeon preached during those days remain. Perhaps the outbreak forced the congregation to adjust, adjust some of their previous practices, including the transcription of sermons. Additionally, Spurgeon was likely too busy in those days to edit sermons uh, for, pop, uh, for production. Uh, it goes on to talk about this, but later on it says, given our current limitations, our greatest opportunities will likely come in the aftermath of the outbreak when in God's mercy, the church is able to once again gather. Those gatherings of the church will not only be a sweet reunion of God's people, but also a tremendous opportunity for preaching the gospel to those desperately looking for hope. So kind of this longing to gather together as the church body. 
And number three, he says he cared for the sick as the pastor. Spurgeon not only continued to gather his church, but he also made himself available throughout the week, working tirelessly to visit the sick and grief-stricken. In the year 1854, when I, this is Spurgeon writing, when I had scarcely been in London 12 months, the neighborhood in which I labored was visited by uh, Asiatic cholera, uh, cholera, cholera, boil boy Simpkins, come on. (laughs) And my congregation suffered from its inroads. Family after family summoned me to the bedside of the smitten, and almost every day I was called to visit the grave, which again is so different than a lot of what we're facing now where we're, we're outright not able in a lot of cases to be with the sick and dying to actually minister in these ways. And I wonder if you, do you feel any of that in real time? Like the inability to actually go to the hospital or visit with someone that, you know, maybe in a normal circumstance as a pastor, you would, you would, uh, you would go see them. Yeah, that's interesting. I haven't felt it in real time because uh, to my knowledge, there's nobody from my church in the hospital. Hmm. Uh, but, you know, I'm I'm praying this doesn't become the case. But if if some projections are correct, we're going to be faced with that. All churches, all people are going to be faced with that. And there's hmm. that uh, there's going to be that that struggle of of. Well, it might be out of our hands of being able to visit people, but even if you were allowed to visit, just kind of what's wisdom versus what's pastoral, right. I think that's going to be really hard one to, uh, that's going to be a hard line to walk. Yeah, I agree. Why don't you take number four? Uh, number four, Spurgeon was open to new evangelistic opportunities. Spurgeon did not limit himself merely to visiting members of his congregation, but was willing to visit persons of all ranks and religions. He writes, all day and sometimes all night long, I went from I went about from house to house and saw men and women dying and how glad they were to see my face. Uh, when many were afraid to enter their houses lest they should catch the deadly disease, we who had no fear about such things found ourselves most gladly listened to when we spoke of Christ. On one occasion at 3 a.m., Spurgeon was summoned to visit a dying man. Surprisingly, this was not a Christian, but someone who had opposed him. Uh, Spurgeon wrote, that man in his lifetime had been wont to jeer at me hmm. in strong language. He had often denounced me as a hypocrite, yet he was no sooner smitten by the darts of death than he sought my presence in counsel, no doubt feeling in his heart that I was a servant of God, though he did not care to own it uh, with his lips. Uh, and it goes on to talk about how we can uh, at some point here have the advantage. Maybe it's uh, virtually online or maybe it's when we can gather again together there's going to be opportunities we will have to preach the gospels to those who are uh, are afraid and who may be more open uh, to the words of Jesus. Yeah, he ends this section by saying, therefore, take advantage of any opportunities you have to preach the gospel to those who are afraid. I think fear in a lot of ways does make people um, uniquely open to learning about what the gospel actually means. And I think I think Christians have a an incredible opportunity before us right now and how we respond to all this. Absolutely. And then he ends number five. He entrusts, uh, he entrusted his life to God as Spurgeon gave himself to his pastoral work. He soon grew physically and mentally exhausted. He also began to fear for his own safety amid his fears, though he learned to entrust himself to God and to his faithfulness. He writes at first, I gave myself up with youthful ardor and the visitation of the sick and was sent from uh, all corners of the district by persons of all ranks and religions. But soon I became weary in body and sick at heart. My friends seemed falling one by one, and I felt or fancied that I was sickening like those around me. A little more work and weeping would have laid me low among the rest. I felt that my burden was heavier than I could bear, and I was ready to sink under it. And I think um, that that is probably a weight and burden that a lot of people in leadership feel uh, it, to some degree right now, having no 
real yeah. sense of how to navigate well. And uh, I think I think I know a number of people who would fit that category. Absolutely. So uh, it's not apples to apples necessarily, but hopefully even those words of Spurgeon and how he went about the outbreak in his day helps us as pastors and as Christ followers and as the church. Well, coming up next, uh, we are going to hear uh, from somebody by the name of Jeff Sandstrom, uh, who wrote an, uh, a blog post titled, Remember to Breathe. We're looking forward to that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Uh, trying to navigate these days, uh, we're trying to figure out right along with you uh, the recent news of the Illinois governor issuing a stay-at-home order through April 7th. And uh, what does that change? What doesn't that change? And so uh, we're navigating that with you uh, and uh, glad that you are joining us. You can continue the conversation at Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. Uh, At Twitter, at Common Good Talk. Online, 1160hope.com. Find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Uh, Subscribe, rate, and review. And uh, you put us on to a blog from Jeff Sandstrom, uh, remind us who Jeff Sandstrom is. As you said, one, one of the days where I wasn't here, he was actually on the show with you. Well, he's high on the list of people whose beards I envy. That's, that's <laughs> important. That list is long for me. <laughs> uh, he's, a, he's another pastor in the area that I connected with uh, at, a, at a prayer event a couple of years ago. And he and I just kind of hit it off. He's a great pastor. He's a great speaker. He's a great writer. Uh, he's just been one of those local friends who's been kind of a godsend and, you know, the trenches of pastoral ministry to have other friends who just kind of get it, you know, those, yeah. are, those, those feel like gifts. So, so Jeff in a lot of ways has, has been that for me personally. Awesome. So he wrote something called just breathe and that's a really interesting, um, or it says, remember to breathe. Uh, and, and, uh, the thought that in, in times of anxiety like that, it can be hard to breathe. So I'm going to ask you, you read it. It's, it's pretty poetic why don't you read it? And then we actually have uh, Jeff uh, is going to talk about it a little bit. So why don't you read it for us? Yeah, he writes, uh, we all make decisions based on the stories in our lives that we think are true. This forms our worldview. These true stories come from our lives, personal experience, family, national history, and even fairy tales and gossip. Even what we watch on TV, hear from friends and read in books. People justify all that they do by the sum collection of true stories they have in their storybook. Even gang members are completely convinced their actions are normal because they line up with their personal experiences, their true stories, the stories that you allow into your life, the stories that you consider and choose to receive as true shape who you are and what you become. This makes what you receive as true extremely important. What you breathe in determines what you breathe out. If you breathe in fear, you breathe out paranoia. The same with foolishness, it's hatred. Wisdom is always essential and the greatest gift you can exercise. Be certain that the stories you are receiving are actually true. There are stories constantly all around us. The ones you decide to tell yourself are true and the ones that will shape who you are and what you become. Just for a moment, pause the scrolling, turn off the news, walk outside and see all that the Lord has done. Breathe in, not panic, fear, or anxiety, but his beautiful creation. And know that he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And may your storybook be full of stories that are true and life-giving. Mm, that was really good. 
I felt like therapy just listening to that. Like, okay, yeah, just breathe, just breathe. And uh, uh, Jeff Sandstrom, uh, who you said uh, you've made a connection with and who has been on our show, uh, was nice enough to call in uh, and uh, share some of his thoughts behind that. So let's listen to what Jeff has to say right now. So uh, I wrote this piece called uh, Remember to Breathe because I was kind of thinking about the idea of uh, um, how you know, people kind of fill up their own um, reservoir with stories and they think they're true. And some of them may be, but some of them may not be uh, stories that we think are true. And we hear them from all kinds of different walks of life, being our, our personal experience, uh, family, even the history of our nation, fairy tales, even gossip, um, stuff we see on TV or from friends, reading books and all these stories that we tell ourselves. Uh, it has a lot to do with uh, how we act and what we think and how we how we see the world and how we see the world produces a lot of uh, our behaviors. And I mean, you know, even gang members are completely convinced that uh, their actions are normal because they line up with their personal experience, the true stories that they put into uh, the reservoir. And uh, this makes what we do that's that we put into ourselves pretty important um, because what, what you breathe in really determines what you breathe out. So when you breathe in fear and paranoia and all this kind of stuff, you actually breathe that same sort of toxicity out into the world. And uh, we always need to kind of exercise wisdom, but I think the importance of at least why this kind of thought came to me, which, um, you know, a lot of times I'm not very smart. So thoughts that are outside of myself, I kind of tend to believe come from God. And if that's the case, um, I think that there are stories that are all around us and ones we need to decide which ones are true and which ones aren't. And so when we're constantly watching the news and constantly just uh, uh, taking in everything that the world is telling us, uh, sometimes it's good just to, to, to pause, to stop scrolling social media, turn off the news, and maybe even step outside if you haven't done it yet, just to look around and look at God's beautiful creation. Um, because sometimes we need to remember to breathe, breathe in, and not fear and panic and hatred and everything, but just breathe in His beautiful creation. And this is the God that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the idea is that you're going to breathe in and breathe out. The, the idea is, you know, what are you breathing in? Because what you breathe in is what you breathe out. And so may the stories that you tell yourself be truly uh, true stories and stories that are, are, are life-giving. And that's the reason I just wanted to spread a little bit of uh, God's good cheer in the moment of uh, you know, a lot of people in the world being pretty scared and fearful and going into panic mode, that there's so much to be uh, grateful for. So when you go to the gas station, maybe uh, instead of being upset about gas prices, you'd be thankful that, you know, you have a car. Instead of being upset about, you know, your family being home and your house being a mess, being happy that you have a family to make a mess. Just kind of changing a little bit, being renewed by your own mind and stopping, pausing, remembering to breathe. So, Ian, uh, I, w- I wonder what you think this concept of just breathing. Jeff, thank you for doing that, by the way. I'd be remiss to say uh, thank you for your writing and uh, your, your really powerful words there. Uh, Ian, this concept of just breathing uh, sounds so elementary, sounds so basic, uh, but really gets at the heart of, uh, of, of a word that a lot of us really need to hear right now, doesn't it? Yeah, I, I, we did a a sermon a couple of months ago and part of the introduction was talking about uh, how quickly we tend to breathe. And I, I read somewhere that um, kind of resetting, recalibrating to six breaths a minute 
for a, a brief period um, can actually do not only wonders, you know, like Jeff is saying to your sanity and your calm, but it's also, it's really, uh, it's good for your circulation and yeah. your blood pressure and your heart rate. And part of what I've read other doctors say is that uh, breathing is a lot of where we get our strength from. And if we're just constantly short of breath and maybe you're like listening right now and you're realizing that you're like hunched over or your you know, jaws all clenched or your yeah. fists are tight or like we, we do these things without even really realizing them. And I think learning to actually breathe in and breathe out. And, you know, some, some would say, I actually read a theologian earlier this week, who's talking about the name Yahweh, which many of us will know, um, originally didn't have any vowels at all. And this author, this theologian was saying that for a lot of ancient Jewish thinkers, um, Yahweh was just simply the name that you, uh, the word that you said while breathing in and breathing out. Mm. The idea that uh, your breath is the first prayer you ever say. I like loved that idea, that picture of like breathing in, breathing out, remembering that uh, breath is a gift and that God is as close to us as our breath. I just thought that was just remarkably poetic. And uh, Jeff just, I think, says it brilliantly. Said it so well. And, you know, some of us, well, the best thing we can do amidst all this craziness is to just go outside and breathe. <laughs> just yeah. go sit outside yeah. and just breathe in, like you said, and breathe out. And that word about Yahweh uh, is really powerful. So you can find that article by Jeff Sandstrom from his blog on our Facebook page. And again, Jeff, thank you for uh, for your words. Uh, well, coming up next hour, we are going to continue to process uh, this coronavirus outbreak uh, pandemic. And uh, what does it mean for us as individuals, as, as community members, and as the church? That's coming up next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey everyone, it's Ian Simkins here, and I remember the first time that I actually learned about Thriving Financial. I was pastoring a church in Bartlett, and me and two other pastors had this dream, this idea to better care for the marriages in our communities. And so we started to dream up this conference idea. What if we actually hosted a local conference to pour into marriages and couples in our churches, in our neighborhoods, in our communities, and Thriving Financial kind of came alongside and not only like made the conference possible, but they were actually interested in partnering with us as churches, as pastors, to help people not only be wise with money, but to live more generously, which was always a value that I had and always struggled to find organizations that actually wanted to help our churches do that. And so that's actually kind of the beginning of what's been a really beautiful journey and relationship with Thrive and to actually be wise with money, to live generously, and to help other people do the same. And so if that interests you, I'd encourage you to go to Thrivent.com to learn more. Coming up this hour, we're going to talk about a disturbing story out of the Senate. Did some of the senators profit from their knowledge about the incoming coronavirus? Uh, and then we're going to share some more devotional thoughts for you. That's coming up next on The Common Good. Everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us on this Friday afternoon. News coming out that now we are being told by our government to stay at home. Uh, a lot of us have been doing that already, but uh, now Governor Pritzker coming out today uh, and saying through April 7th, uh, just stay at home. Uh, only essential tra- only essential businesses need to stay open, grocery stores, banks, and the like. 
so it's a, it's a new day. It, things keep changing by the day, uh, but we are, we are prayerful and hopeful around this coronavirus pandemic. Well, there was a really uh, disturbing story that continues for those of us uh, who tend to be a little more cynical towards our politicians. Add, let this one add fuel to the fire. Uh, it appears uh, that last night it came out at ProPublica uh, that Intelligence Chair Richard Burr uh, sold up to possibly uh, $1.7 million of stock uh, after having been briefed about the coronavirus. Uh, and then it came out a couple other senators did likewise who were in on those briefings. Uh, before we talk about that, interestingly, Tucker Carlson, who is uh, on Fox News and who is usually going to be a fan of some of the people who are being talked about here, he had them some very strong words. Listen to Tucker Carlson. So you may have seen the news reports this afternoon. The chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee sold more than a million dollars in stock in mid-February after learning how devastating the Chinese coronavirus could be. He had inside information about what could happen to our country, which is now happening, but he didn't warn the public. He didn't give a primetime address. He didn't go on television to sound the alarm. He didn't even disavow an op-ed he'd written just 10 days before claiming was America was, quote, better prepared than ever for coronavirus. He didn't do any of those things. Instead, what did he do? He dumped his shares in hotel stocks so he wouldn't lose money. And then he stayed silent. Now, maybe there's an honest explanation for what he did. If there is, he should share it with the rest of us immediately. Otherwise, he must resign from the Senate and face prosecution for insider trading. There is no greater moral crime than betraying your country in a time of crisis. And that's appeared, that appears to be what happened. We'll have more on the story tomorrow. And so just a disturbing story all around me. And I'm wondering when you first heard it, uh, what were some of your thoughts? Oh, what am I allowed to say on the radio? <laughs> <laughs> you know, we've mentioned this a couple of times this week. Um, not everyone's going to love that we're even doing the story in the first place, uh-huh. as people will say, and with good reason, there's enough negativity in the world right now. Can we please focus on the positive? Which, honestly, like I really want to. I also yeah. think it's part of our responsibility, not just as radio hosts, but as Christ followers, as pastors, as leaders, to call out this kind of behavior. To I mean, a lot of people will already have been aware of it, but to say, I mean, this to me is so frustrating if found to be true, which, uh, you know, that is something that I need to learn to reserve judgment, right? Like you were saying at the beginning of the segment, like it is easy to jump to conclusions if it already kind of confirms what you thought about this person or that party or whatever. So that's, that's really important, but golly, I think Tucker might be right too. that, that level of betrayal, um, and abdicating your responsibility as a as a leader of this country, I don't know that that is some of some of the worst that I've seen in a while. Yeah, especially when you uh, add into that, like there's you know a lot of people believe there might have been kind of some slow movement on uh, the incoming epidemic that some stuff could have been done sooner, and to know that some of the people who were being briefed on it saw enough potential issues out there or were told enough potential issues out there that they started selling off stocks. You want to be like, well, where was the energy to kind of combat this happening in the first place? Right, right. And uh, yeah, and, and it gets back to uh, just this idea of greed and uh, that 
um, greed will drive a lot of people. I saw I'm, her name is is escaping me now. There's a Republican female senator uh, who is uh, being accused of a lot of the same stuff in this. Uh, and uh, it's just um, mm, you see pictures and you see the tweets that they wrote after their briefing. And then to know that they just sold off before all of this happened. I mean, Goldman Sachs right now uh, today, I don't know if you saw this, uh, said that upwards in this quarter uh, that that economic growth could be at negative 24%, which is so wow. far beyond anything that's ever happened in recent memory. Wow. Uh, and so when you start thinking about that and you start thinking about uh, that, that another report came out today that there could be upwards of 2 million people applying for, for uh, unemployment within the next month. Um, and a lot of that, you know, coming out of just companies needing to furlough people and, and restaurants and whatever else. When you see the way that people are hurting, and then again, you see some politicians uh, now month, a month or two ago, but you see them profiting. Uh, it's no wonder that so many people have such a hard time with our politicians. And it's like, it feels like at a time like this, we want to believe in our politicians, right? We want to believe right. in what they're doing. We want to believe the best and that they're leading, not just ethically, but strongly. And, and then you read stories like this and you're just deflated. Well, uh, can I counteract that with some stuff then? Please. We, <laughs> we talked yesterday. I've been, uh, I've been visiting over the goodnewsnetwork.org and even just some of their headlines, right? Uh, TV medical dramas are donating all their gowns, gloves, and masks to real hospitals fighting COVID-19. Um, from terrifying to terrific, man redesigns MRI machine to delight children instead of scare them. Uh, what else we got? There's, I mean, 15-year-old girl is giving away hundreds of free sanitation kits to homeless people. Like, there's... Yep. Just just to counteract it a little bit, I agree. I, I don't want to go full Hallmark movie right now, but um, we did talk about greed and what pandemics like this do tend to bring out in people. Um, I remember hearing a youth pastor years ago say something like, we're all really like sponges, and when we're pressed, what's actually in us will come out. Oh, that's really good. Were you, were, you that, were you that youth pastor? I was not that youth pastor. I do not quote myself in the third person, no. <laughs> but that, I, that idea, though, and I, I don't, I mean, I might give some pushback to it, but like when pressed or when squeezed, who you really are will, will come out. Obviously, no one's their best self when they're fearful uh, or anxious or, or worried. So that might be some of the the pushback I would give to that sentiment. But in general, though, seeing acts of greed and betrayal like this can be so discouraging and so yes. infuriating, which is why I try to often intentionally go to places like goodnewsnetwork.org because there you go. I just, I need to come up for air a little bit. And uh, I would encourage you to head on over and just peruse some of these headlines because there's a lot of really beautiful, wonderful acts of generosity that are happening in the world as well. Absolutely. I really enjoy that, that imagery about the sponge there. That was a good one. Yeah. You would just wish that more of that, uh, of the good stories were coming from the highest levels of government at the moment. Um, but we know that's not often the case, but yeah, no, you're right. Uh, so many people, uh, doing such good things, especially around the medical, um, trying to support our medical workers who are the true heroes in this. Right. And, uh, you know, we did that story yesterday of, 
of uh, Chick-fil-A or I was telling you about the restaurant here in Downers Grove and other places who are delivering free food, people trying to get masks because there aren't enough masks and other stuff. Um, you see stories of of people um, trying to stay connected with their neighbors while still keeping six feet of distance, like all of these things, like you said. Yeah, I'm glad you found that good news network dot uh, com. Is that dot com or dot org? No, that's dot org dot O-R-G. Dot O-R-G. I'm glad you found that for us because I, you know, when I watch more and more news and just kind of get into all of this, it's stories like that one uh, about these senators that can so discourage me and so deflate me. And so I think it's a good call from you to be reminded of the good things going on around us and uh, to kind of focus in on those. Well, we're going to do that next here. Coming up next, we did this in the first hour, but he and I both being pastors uh, we want to give uh, just some encouragement, kind of what's on our hearts, what's on our minds, some devotional thoughts, some hope. We're going to do that next year on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody, welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Uh, it's Friday, going to be a different weekend than uh, most of us are, are accustomed to. As we all continue to stay at home and uh, do our part to kind of flatten the curve and uh, try to try to minimize as much as humanly possible at this point uh, the effects of the coronavirus pandemic. As we said in the first hour, uh, if you're just getting in your car, just turn on your radio. Governor Pritzker officially put out a stay at home mandate, which he said won't change many of our lives because most of us have been doing that. Uh, but now that is government mandated. Uh, and so be aware of that. Well, one of the things Ian and I want to do as pastors uh, is to try to provide hope uh, to our radio audience to kind of be pastoral. And this is a time when a lot of people are looking for encouragement, looking for hope, looking for answers. And uh, with that in mind, uh, we're both just going to share some things that are on our heart. But before we do that, uh, we are thrilled to be uh, continually joined by a great organization called Thriven. So why don't you tell us a little bit about Thriven? Yeah, so I've been a Thriven partner for almost a decade now at this point, and it's been uh, a pretty incredible partnership just because eh, I'm not that smart. So uh, <laughs> I've, been, I've been really grateful not only for them and their wisdom, but also the fact that it's a Christian organization. And so like certain things about generosity or ways that I want to you know, use my money, uh, they're like right in line with. So they're they're a big deal though. It's a fortune 500 non-for-profit that have been serving people for like a hundred years. And here's why I bring all this up because especially in light of everything that's happening, you might be looking for a career change. They would be an incredible organization to partner with. If you're entrepreneurial or you like working with money or helping people, or you want to be your own boss, you can visit thrivent.com slash careers. That's thrivent.com slash careers. Or you can just call 630 630- Five nine eight two one two eight. That's six three zero five nine eight two one two eight. And just tell them that Ian from the Common Good sent you. Yeah, a great organization that we're excited to have as a part of the Common Good. Well, as we said, uh, as pastors, uh, we did this in the first hour, but we'd like to do it again. Just try to provide some encouragement, provide yeah. some hope, uh, provide uh, some scripture. And uh, so, Ian and I are both just going to take a couple minutes to do that. You know. I was thinking about a story, uh, one of my favorite stories in the scriptures, um, that uh, to, to talk about um, the perspective 
that allows us to kind of get through stuff like this. And so uh, I know every time you use a story, it's not always apples to apples, but I'm reminded of that story in the Gospels, uh, the miraculous story of Jesus walking on the water. And uh, I love that story so much, but there are so many aspects to that story. And John Orberg wrote a great book about it years ago. Uh, But there's all the disciples are in the boat. There's a storm. And they see, they see what they think is a ghost, and it turns out to be Jesus walking towards them on the water. Uh, Eleven of the disciples, as best we could tell, are like, no, I'm good on this boat. But then Peter, in his most Peter way, says, uh, uh, tell me to walk to you. What amazing faith that must have taken. And Jesus says, all right, come to me. And uh, Peter, I can't imagine, what must that have been like to take that first step onto the water? And Peter, Peter steps onto the water. And he begins doing something that nobody other than Jesus had ever done, right? He begins walking on the water. And we, we read that he's, that he's looking at Jesus and, and, he's, and he's making it. Uh, but then the text tells us that the storm uh, starts, the waves start getting really high. And Peter starts seeing the waves around him and the storms around him. And he takes his eyes off of Jesus and he immediately begins to sink. And Jesus comes over to Peter and he reaches out his hand and he pulls him up. And, and I don't even think that Jesus says this is an angry way. I think it's kind of like, Peter, you were doing it. Why'd you lack the faith? You were doing it. And they get back in the boat. And I always wonder what Peter said to the other disciples, like kind of a, did you see me? <laughs> uh, and it reminds me in times like this, like we feel like the storm is just raging around us right now. It, the, the waves are just raging And I guess my encouragement to you out there uh, is to keep your eyes on Jesus uh, instead of the waves and the storm. Uh, Book of Hebrews says that we run the race with our eyes fixed on him. And as best we can, while the storm is raging, uh, to allow ourselves to be reminded that, that he is present, he is good, he is active, and we can focus our eyes on him. And it doesn't take the storm away, but it just kind of gives us that peace and that change of perspective. So I always find that story helpful, especially when, when uh, things are, off the, are just kind of off the rails. Uh, hopefully you find that perspective helpful as well. Pastor Ian, why don't you pastor us a little bit? Well, a little fun fact about the story you told in the uh, Gospel of John version, the uh, response that Jesus gives to their request of who that is, is it is I, it's the, uh, it's the Greek phrase ego a me, which is, uh, the same idea in Exodus three, when God tells Moses who to tell Pharaoh who he is. So oh. like the disciples would have heard ego a me and they would have known right away. Jesus is making like a messianic claim here. And what's interesting is that every time in the old Testament, when God says, I am, you know, it's always like, take off your sandals or look away or back up. Right. In this depiction, Jesus gets in the boat, right? Jesus is Emmanuel. He's God come close. He's God with us. He's not just God for us. He's God come near. And I, I always mm-hmm. loved that that little tidbit there about that particular interaction. That's not at all what I was going to share, though. Um, there you go. I don't even know how much time I have left. I got a couple you, of minutes. Yeah, you got three three minutes. All right. So in uh, in John 14, Jesus said, Anyone who loves me will obey my teachings. My father will love them and he will come to them and make our home with them. Again, that idea, not just of, you know, God being like in the room, but like making his home with us. He says, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teachings. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. 
All this I have spoken while still with you, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all the things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Again, this reminding piece of like, we're prone to spiritual amnesia. We need to be reminded. Mm. And he says this in verse 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. That idea amidst all this chaos and all this fear, this anxiety, he's saying, I give a different kind of peace. You know, in Ephesians 6, when uh, we read about the armor of God, the different pieces describe different aspects of spiritual battle, and it's the boots of peace. And I didn't realize this, but the boots that he likely would have been referencing are called the caliga. And mm. he's like Roman boots would have had like one to three inch hobnails in the bottom so that they could stand firm in the battle. Like the whole point of the boots of peace is to like anchor down deep into the soil when everything else is sort of raging. The other thing that I didn't realize about um, all of the pieces mentioned in the armor there is that it's all meant to be from the perspective of victory. It's about holding ground. It's about um, claiming the victory that's already ours in mm. Jesus. And I think it's interesting because we talked about this a couple months ago. You know, the most common passage, the most uh, sought after, highlighted, searched passage in all the scripture for last year was Philippians four. Don't be anxious right. about anything. Don't be anxious about anything. Uh, but let the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, guard your hearts. And that idea of guarding your hearts is actually like this ancient, ancient idea of like a, uh, like an umpire or a referee. It's like letting the peace of Christ call the shots in our life. It's letting the peace of Christ referee when like our heart is saying something different or we're freaking out or we're panicked at the news. Like, the peace of Christ anchor us. It's a peace that, that God gives that's different than the way, the way the world gives. The word peace there in the Gospel of John is really the word shalom. It's not the absence of conflict, but it's more, it's more enigmatic than that. It's about wholeness and completeness and fullness. And I, I love what he says just a, like a couple chapters later, John chapter 16. He says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you'll have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Like he's just owning the fact that, man, sometimes stuff is going to get hard. It's going to get difficult. You're going to find yourself grappling with fear and worry and anxiety. But mm. in me, you have peace. I'll end with this. C.S. Lewis once said that God cannot give us happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. That, that idea that God has come close, that like you were saying, he gets in the boat with us. He gives a different kind of peace than the way the world gives. To me, I find such comfort in, such strength in, and when I feel in my mind racing or I'm spiraling out of control, I just come back to some of these passages and remind myself again of exactly who I am in Christ. Well put, my friend. Uh, hopefully that little pastoral moment uh, gives you peace, gives you encouragement, gives you perspective. Well, coming up next, we're going to uh, dive into an article from the Gospel Coalition. A lot of us are now working from home, obviously, and this gives some uh, effective tips to working from home. That's coming up next on The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Welcome to a Friday, a strange Friday, but Friday nonetheless, uh, you can follow our show on Facebook at the Common Good Radio Show. That's the Common Good Radio Show. On Twitter, at Common Good Talk. You can find us online at 1160hope.com. 
And as always, get our podcast wherever it is you find your podcast. Subscribe, rate, review. Uh, all this time, we're all going to be in our houses. I know I find myself listening to lots of podcasts when I'm home this long. So hopefully we're one of those in your rotation. We'd be glad if we were. And uh, like we said, go ahead and review it. And uh, we are grateful for all of you. As a reminder, just public service announcement, Governor Pritzker today uh, telling us uh, everybody needs to stay home uh, other than going to get food and, and other essentials. Uh, just stay home, which most of us have been doing. But if you have not been, uh, then you need to start doing that starting tomorrow for the next at least three weeks. Uh, well, one of the uh, things about work uh, being home like this is work doesn't stop. And so we're all trying to figure out what does working from home look like? I was just telling my wife today, like, yeah, it's just different. Like my rhythm is just off. Like usually I know I do this on this day and this at this time. And this is just throwing the rhythm. And so at the Gospel Coalition, it uh, they wrote an article entitled this uh, by Devin Maddox, Nine Ways to Work Efficiently from home. Before we dive into each nine, are you good at working from home or do you have some of that same struggle? Well, before I answer that question, Brian, I'm wondering, can people ask Alexa to play the <laughs> you, you waited till the end of Friday. <laughs> I was trying to be really kind because you mentioned how much more time you're spending at home and all this downtime. And I thought, surely, surely this week, this weekend is happening. Oh, is it happening this week? It hasn't happened yet. Not since that one time I told you we did it and there was like, for some reason it didn't let us. Oh my gosh. Uh, nope. This weekend I'm doing it. I'm doing it. <laughs> All right. Well, tune in on Monday and find out if that's true. Um, yep. No, I'm not great at it. I, I'm okay. But this first one here that they mentioned about the lines being blurred is definitely, definitely true for me. And my wife is so much better at this and God bless her. She'll like hold me to task too. Like, Hey, um, don't open your laptop again while yes. the kids are or whatever, like especially with a, a two and one year old uh, wanting to be really present with them. And that's tricky because they get bored really easily and they want to, you know, like I, they're not at a point where I can have conversations with them. So the temptation, like look at your phone and answer an email or two uh, is always there. So I, I need to, this is an area I need to really grow in for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that was number one, recognize that the lines between work and home are now blurred. Yeah. Uh, they, they go on to say, most of us will realize this dynamic through some sort of conflict that will emerge. You just touched on this. Uh, <laughs> For the record, I did not touch on the conflict part of it. We'll be frustrated because we're overworking or underworking because work and home will not be divided by time, morning and evening and space. The first step toward healthy work from anywhere dynamic is recognizing the lines are blurred. Second one, Schedule a start and end time to your work day. This follows from the first principle. Scheduling a start and end time to your work day helps unblur the lines a bit. This means perhaps even more than usual, you aren't responding to calls, texts, or emails outside of your designated work hours. Even better, physically move to a unique location in your home or apartment, preferably the same place every day, and don't go to that location unless you're on work time. The more you honor these boundaries for yourself and with others, the more effective you will be. That's pretty good. Number three, yeah. how many do we got? Nine? Nine. There's no way we're getting through all these. We um, got them. Recognize, recognize how much you depend on habits to get through the day and how you need to make new ones. Habits permit our brains to avoid repetitive decision-making. It's exhausting to rely on the daily decision-making process just to get out the door. Do I wake up and then get in the shower? Or do I wake up and go 
to the coffee maker? Do I brush my teeth and then go to my closet? Believe it or not, the most successful people spend the least amount of energy making basic decisions. They use habits to get them from their pillow to their desk automatically already engaged in the mental energy of making higher level decisions. I've used this quote before, by the way, the John Orper quote, um, habits eat willpower for breakfast. A lot of us are going to want to will ourselves in this, you know, weird season that we're in. And I think he's, I think he's spot on habits are essential to navigating this. Absolutely. Number four, diversify your entertainment beyond streaming. During times of extended social isolation, your brain will begin to notice something is missing. It's missing stimuli you get throughout the course of a normal day. The easiest thing is to fill that void with more streaming and more scrolling. Maybe it's just because I'm a bookman by trade, but why not use this time to finally do something about that nagging monthly thought? I should find more time to read books. A diverse range of inputs, whether they are books, podcasts, audiobooks, sketching, painting, Uh, for your brain will go a long way toward helping you persevere without suffering too much from the sneaky sense of what is going on this uh, going on with me this week. Yeah, that's really good, man. Number five, evaluate at the end of the week and plan for the following week. Some of these are just like basic good ideas to do in general, but I think are all the more important. Now things aren't going to go well at first. That's okay. Schedule a time at the end of the week to redesign your habits for the following week. You're going to know more then than you do now about what you need to thrive under these conditions. Mm. Number six, find appropriate avenues for both social connection and also solitude. Mm. This is related to the point about entertainment. Your brain needs to be connected with other brains, but it also needs rest from other people. Finding solitude, if you live with roommates or family, will be a more difficult thing to find. But both introverts and also extroverts depend on solitude, even if in different doses. Working from home may expose an unexpected deficiency of alone time for everybody because we're anticipating a lack of social connection. We need to make plans to FaceTime with friends or to find time alone somewhere in our living spaces as we practice social distancing. Uh, I'm going to skip this next one. I think you should read it. I disagree entirely. (laughs) Number seven? Yeah. Okay. Find appropriate avenues for exercise and move. <laughs> I was like, what am I about to read? <laughs> Conspiracy. No, I'll read it. I got it. On an average day, I walk a couple of miles in the course of getting to and from my office space. I leave the house, walk to the car, get out of the car in the parking garage, blah, 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 blah. Um, my body and mind depend on this movement for my sense of general well-being. It's up to us to find time and places to move around to reassure our brains that we're doing okay. That's really good. Yeah. Number eight, uh, limit your anxiety by checking news only twice per day. Oh, this is a hard one. Whoops. Be honest. How much has your online reading gone up in the last two weeks? Cal Newport, author of Digital Minimalism, offers a great idea for limiting our anxiety. Limit the inputs that fuel anxiety. No, he doesn't propose we try to be uninformed. Rather, he proposes that we schedule specific times once in the morning and again in the evening to check in with the outside world. Any news more urgent will find its way to you through other people. That one uh, is gold because I, I struggle with that one. <laughs> do you? I, is, I do. Is this, is this show helping you struggle with it? Oh, I really do. Being constantly checking Twitter or like, what's the newest thing? What did the governor say or the president's that like, you know, and think about it back in the day, you know, generations ago, they just watched the nightly news after dinner and that was getting the news for the day. That was it. Right. Yep. And then you talk about it. Right. Yep. Uh, number nine, how is all of this going to affect your spiritual discipline? 
As much as possible, I try to avoid being too specific in prescribing how someone should structure their spiritual disciplines, no matter where we are on the journey, uh, on that journey with time for prayer, Bible reading, meditation, fasting, and so on. We can always do better. I struggled initially as a Christian because I failed to have a daily, quote, quiet time like the ones described by my mentors. So I felt like a spiritual failure. Regardless, we ought to have a plan to which we commit and one, uh, one that's on a growth trajectory. It's up to us to design our day in a manner that assumes a sense of spiritual security is the best foundation for thriving in every other aspect of our day. I think that is brilliant. Yeah, Devin Maddox closes it this way. My wife shared a meme with me that said, when the Great Plague of London was going around in 1665, Cambridge University shut down and Isaac Newton was forced to stay home. During that time, he invented calculus, parts of the optic theory, and allegedly, while sitting in his garden, he saw an apple fall from a tree that inspired his understanding of gravity and laws of motion. Maddox writes, I don't know if these claims are true, but what if this strange period of time slowing us down and focusing us in gave way to greater productivity, greater innovation, and even spiritual revival? Hmm. Uh, so uh, I think we're all going to be, we're, we're being forced to deal with this. How do I juggle home, work, and all of this. So those are very helpful. We're going to put them up on our Facebook page. Uh, would love to your feedback. Well, we're still ending the show the same way we always do uh, with interweb insanity. We are uh, crazy stories from the internet coming up next here on the common good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Hey everyone. It's Ian Simpkins here. And after I had this experience with Thrivent, where we were able to host this marriage conference with two other churches in the area, uh, my interest was kind of peaked with regards to what kind of organization this was. And it was really fascinating because they approached me who was pastoring a church in Bartlett. And they said, we actually provide these free workshops for people that want to be wise with money and live generously. And so they sent me this link and it was all these different topics, questions that people in my church actually were asking. And so it was remarkable. They hosted this workshop uh, a number of times in the coming months for people in our church to do just that, to to be wise with money and to live generously. And that's kind of how this relationship began because there was this no strings attached kind of mentality. It was just their heart to give back, to partner with pastors and churches to help people uh, live generously, to be wise with money and live generously. And that was kind of the continuation of my relationship with them. And so if you're interested in learning more, I can't encourage you enough to head to Thrivent.com today. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Well, that music can only mean one thing. Uh, This is the end of our show, Interweb Insanity. Uh, This is a time for us just to laugh. uh, Where our producers, John and Keith, or sorry, PJ and Keith. uh, People are like, who's John? I don't know, who's this John? Did did PJ get fired? (laughs) Oh, boy. They find crazy stories from the internet. We read them sight unseen. if they're insulting, if they are disturbing to you, blame PJ, blame Keith. So here we go. Number one, out of Las Vegas, Little Darling Strip Club to offer drive through strip shows, uh, nude hand sanitizer wrestling. I don't even know what to make of this. Oh, my gosh. Although many businesses in Las Vegas are closed today after Nevada governor asked non-essential businesses to close their doors, it does not appear to include the city's uh, strip clubs. Yeah, I think I'm just going to stop for the rest of these. Uh, yeah, Vegas uh, still living up to its name. Actually, I'm not even mad. That's amazing. <laughs> I like how you just stopped. There was like three paragraphs left, and you just 
I just I feel like that was what we call wisdom right there. Don't you think so? (laughs) Are you allowed to call what you yourself did wisdom? I don't know that that's how that works. I think I think I'm calling what I just did wisdom. (laughs) I I, I know that's what you're doing. I just don't know that you (laughs) are. Supposed to. Uh, all right, out of Canada, enormous 15-stone, 7-foot-tall Great Dane, often mistaken for horse. Wow, we are really scraping the bottom of the barrel here, aren't we? The owner of a 7-foot-tall <laughs> Great Dane says her pooch is constantly mistaken for a horse. However, that doesn't stop Thunder, of course, who weighs more than 15 stone, oh, that's 210 pounds, from trying to sit on her lap. The colossal canine lives with Jenny, 35, and her home develop, her home developer husband, Chris, in their four-bedroom house in King City, Ontario, Canada, the eight-year-old hound cut uh, cut such a striking figure that when they take him for a walk, passing drivers frequently pull over to take pictures, convinced that he's a horse. Scooby Dooby Doo, where are you? We got some work to do now. Picture of that dog. That dog is enormous, right there. <laughs> yeah, it's. We should post these. I don't think we typically post these on our Facebook page. We really should. No, no. Not the first one we shouldn't do, but that second one we can. <laughs> That's true. Touche. Uh, Missouri. Woman gives birth in toilet paper aisle of Springfield Walmart. Amid the empty shelves and store closures, a Springfield Walmart had its own commotion going Wednesday afternoon. A baby was born in the toilet paper aisle of the Walmart at Sunshine and West Bypass. One Walmart customer didn't have a chance to get any of those groceries she came for, but she left with something much more special. We were like, oh my gosh, is this actually going to happen? Said store manager Jessica Hinkle. Hinkle said the woman warned store associates that her last child came in just 30 minutes. When the woman's water broke in the toilet paper aisle, she was prepared to go into labor right then and there. Hey, Ricky, you were right. I was pregnant. Okay, is this our, no, this is our last one. You went first, didn't you? Oh That's boy. right. I'm, yeah. I'm all thrown off, Brian. Why did you do that? All right. Arizona <laughs> man hijacks city bus for ride around Phoenix. A man is being charged after police say he hijacked a city bus and threatened the driver for a ride around central Phoenix and Tempe. Phoenix police report that on the evening of March 14th, the man identified as 32 year old Darmesh Park Patel boarded a city bus near 32nd and Van Buren. I don't know why they give so many specifics. We don't care about that. (laughs) As the bus approached 44th Street, Patel allegedly reached behind his back and threatened the driver by saying he would, wow, um, kill, shoot, and slash him. In that order? Yeah, Um, that seems like a backwards order. (laughs) Jeez, Louise. Police say they ended up in Tempe, where Patel allegedly demanded that the driver turn around and head back to central Phoenix. All right, last one is this is we've never had this combo. It's a combo Ireland Louisiana story. Oh, tale as old as time. A hard hat dropped in Mississippi River found five years later in Ireland. <laughs> a hard hat that fell into the Mississippi River in 2015 is being mailed back to its owner after being found 4,300 miles away on a beach in Ireland. Liam McNamara, a member of the Berean Shores Beachcombing and More Facebook group. I love that. And more. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Said he found the hat on a beach uh, in Ireland and sought help from social media tracking down its owner. The hat's custom paint job in the purple and gold colors of Louisiana State University and an in, uh, intact sticker bearing the name of the International Union of Operating Engineers Local 25. Help McNamara get into contact with Matthew Bonnet. Bonnet said he had been wearing it in 2015. Uh, near New Orleans, when his hat fell into the Mississippi River, McNamara said he is mailing the hat back to Bonnet in Louisiana. How? 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 I don't know.
That's a crazy story. Those are always weird how it made its way all the way there. What I want to talk about is how you say New Orleans. I did say New Orleans there. I didn't mean to. You New didn't Orleans. say it like that either. You said New Orleans is what you said. I think it was a combo that just came out poorly. Okay. I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't sure if that was like a regular thing that I needed to address or not. No, no, okay. no. I'll get it better next time. <laughs> <laughs> I believe in you. Well, we hope that we've uh, provided you some information today, some inspiration, and some laughs. Uh, hope that you have a great weekend. I know it's going to be different than most of us are used to, uh, but hopefully it's a good one for you and your family. We'll be back with you on Monday. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. 